that this song is our testimony that because of your goodness and your tender mercies and by the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ we are no longer slave to fear you have not given us the spirit of fear but of love of power and of a sound mind and so Lord we thank you tonight for soundness of mind we thank you tonight for your love we bless your name tonight for your presence in our midst thank you for our time together we honor you we bless you we praise you Lord Jesus thank you for every man and every woman quicken them refresh them thank you for the God we honor we bless you Lord in Jesus name amen you may take your seats and welcome everyone tonight day number four amen we're almost done but not quite <laughs> praise God hallelujah uh, so last night we um, were in chapter 3 of the book of Galatians and so tonight we're going to move to Galatians chapter 4 we're going to begin to speak tonight on growing spiritually uh, we are still in the logos aspect of Paul's uh, plan to the Galatian church the message he brought to the church at Galatia uh, so last night, let me go to Galatians chapter 3, the last uh, three verses there from verse 27 through 29. Galatians 3, actually we can start from verse 26. Galatians 3 verse 26 through 29. It says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So one of the aspects of God's grace is that he adopts us into his family through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29 that I just read, we see three privileges of that adoption. Number one, we have a right standing with God. Amen? And secondly, there is a unity between or among believers through baptism. We are baptized together into one body. And lastly, from that passage, we have a new purpose for our lives. And this is very, very critically important. So let me just take a moment there before I dive into chapter four. The new purpose for our lives. You see, a lot of people are living the wrong dreams. They are living the dream that they have concocted for themselves and totally, completely missing out on the dream that God has for them. Now, uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, years ago, when my daughter was a teenager, uh, she was talking to me. I wanted to know why did she need to be born again. She said, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do all these vices. So, so I mean, why, why, I'm a good girl, I'm a good child. Why do I need to be born again? Well, at the time she was asking me that question, I was major on the law myself. I didn't know anything about the grace of God. 
I'll just preach whatever I can preach. But anyway, so I tried to explain to her about the fall of man through Adam and how, as a result of that fall, uh, we, we, Jesus came to redeem us and therefore uh, all mankind have sinned and come short of the glory of God and we all need to be redeemed and saved. Now, that is true, but it's not, it's not a complete story. It's not a complete story. And that's why this last verse of chapter uh, three is so important. Ephesians 1, 4. Look at what it says. It says, just as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So the point here is, before you and I ever became a thought in a mother's or father's mind, God chose us. Okay, let me say that one more time. Before my mother or your, my mother and my father ever got together, they thought they were getting together. And they thought, okay, now we're married, we're going to, you know, do what we need to do, we're going to have children. Fine, they thought so. But before that ever happened, we were already in God's mind. They were just instruments through which God's mind was carried out. We were chosen, the Bible says, in him before the foundation of the world. Let me read a couple more, then I'm going to get to what I need to say. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Ephesians 2 10. It says that we are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. That Okay, good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What's the point I'm making? You and I were the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus, created for good works, which God prepared when? Can you guys talk back to me? When did he prepare? 2019? No. Beforehand. That we should walk in them. So the point I'm making is when somebody says, when my daughter says to me, why do I need to be born again? The starting point is not Adam's failure. That is one chapter too late. The first point is toying, God chose you before time began in Christ. And created you as a workmanship in Christ Jesus. Created you unto good works. Which as a result of Adam's failure. The good works for which you were created is now in jeopardy. Because sin became an aberration or a detour to the original intent of God in your life. So the reason you need to be born again is not just because of sins per se, the acts of commission of sins, that's there and that's important. But more importantly, your being born again grabs you back into God's original intent, the intent he had before the world began. The only way you can fulfill that intent is you need to be born again. Being born again, Jesus became the bridge to bring you from being off course to be in course. 
when that is explained from that perspective, people see it in a different way because the questions are, Adam's sin, Adam's sin. Why, why should I pay for Adam's sin? No. But when you understand that Adam's sin took you off the course. Now, why am I saying that tonight? Because in Galatians 3, 29, it says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Many of us love the promise. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make you a great nation. I will bless them that bless you. But there's one last part of that promise or that whole package. In you, Abraham, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. The point I'm making is the entire blessing package has with it also a responsibility on all of us. <sighs> Believers, you don't like responsibilities. You just like the blessings on the trees. Just give me the Christmas tree. Just hang all these gifts on it. No, 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 no. If Abraham was to tell God on that day, when God said to him, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Make your name great. Great nation. I bless them that bless you. In you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. If Abraham said, hey, God, whoa, 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 whoa. I like the first four. But this issue of me being the blessing to the rest of the world, I don't like that part. If he was to say that, the deal may be off the table. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying to you? The point I am making is, God has a vested interest in not only blessing us, yes, but if we are going to be heirs to the promise of Abraham, we must also, as part of that whole package, be responsible for the commitment God was making through Abraham to bless the world. It's a package deal. You cannot separate the blessing from the responsibility. Are you guys hearing me? Sometimes the reason God cannot trust you and I with resources is because we are not looking to use those resources to fulfill his own purpose. Yeah. So, that's Galatians chapter 3. Now, let's move to chapter 4, verse 1. Okay? So, remember the three privileges we saw in chapter 3 there. New right standing with God, unity between believers, and the new purpose for our lives. There is a purpose for our existence. There's a purpose for us living. God is looking to use you and I as his extension, as his ambassadors, as his means to bring order to the glory of God. We must never forget that. Amen? Amen. Now, Galatians 1, I mean, rather, Galatians chapter 4. Verses, let me just start from verse 1 there. Now I say, that the hair, now remember the connection from verse 29 of chapter 3 and verse 1 now, it's connecting it. It just told us in 3.29 that if we are Christ, then we are Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. So now in chapter 4 verse 1, he's beginning to address this issue of being a heir. What is an heir? Anybody talk back to me. Pardon me? Very factor of inheritance. That's correct. Okay? England 
They have hairs lined up for the throne. <laughs> they are waiting for the queen to check out. So they <laughs> Prince Charles is waiting. Prince, Prince uh, Harry is waiting. Prince Will they are all there. They are lined up. Hairs of the throne of England. So Paul is saying if you are in Christ, you are Abraham's seed. And as a result of that, you are heirs of the promise. In other words, the same blessing God gave to Abraham, you qualify. Under the same condition, you qualify. But now, from chapter 4, verse 1 on, it begins to tell us the working out of these things. Now I say that the heir, as long as is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he's master of all. Again, think of England. All those little kids, the grand, great-grandchildren of the queen, they are heirs to the throne. But as long as they're toddlers and babies, they have no right, no say-so, nothing. Even though they own all, but right now in their stage as a child, they are incapable of coming into the fullness of what belongs to them in time. You understand that? So Paul is trying to make, give us an analogy here to make a point. Verse 2. But it's under guardians and stewards until any time, you see the word until is a time element. Until the time appointed by the Father. Go on. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. What was his purpose? Why did he come? Verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. You must understand tonight, God's ultimate purpose is not just to get us born again, which is good, it's essential, we want to be born again, we need to be born again, but his goal, his ultimate goal is sonship. Sonship. The earnest expectation of the creation is awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. Huge. Jesus, we are told, uh, unto us a child was born, but unto us a son was given. There's a big difference between a child and a son. By the time a child becomes a son, you are full grown, you are matured, you are capable of making judgment decisions and doing things and representing your father. So the issue here is, the Bible is telling us, God sent his son Jesus to redeem us so that we may receive the adoption of sonship. Now, let's read on a few more verses, please. Verse 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent for the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. This is a huge identity issue. 
let's unpack this for a minute. Let's, let's, let's unpack it. Paul is speaking at a time when, uh, and his audience understood uh, what happened in that, in, in that day and time. Minor children in the first century wealthy families were like slaves in two ways. Number one, they had very restricted access to their fathers. This, this was the way it was in the early first century. All the wealthy families, when they had children, those kids have very restricted access to their fathers, number one. Number two, they were placed under the care of guardians or, if you will, managers who managed them under very tough and strict disciplinary measures. Amen? However, the father will have set a time to say, you know what? When his child reaches, reaches age 16 or 18 or whatever the age that he set, he will set a time that when a child reaches that age, then the tutorship or the guardianship will cease. And at that point, that child will now have direct and total unfettered access to the father to begin to care for the business and advance the interest of the family. Now, so Paul was using this to explain to the Galatians how God dealt with Israel. So the uh, minor child, based on his analogy, represented the situation that Israel was under the Old Testament economy. Are you still following me? He calls this guardian system the elemental things of this world, which in fact, let's see, yeah, in verse 3, he said, even so we were children were in bondage under the elements of this world. So, so he called the system like being under the elements of this world. But what it was referring to more specifically were the detailed and compulsory Old Testament systems of rituals, priesthood, sacred buildings, religious calendar, and animal sacrifice. Those things were very strict. Okay? So on the one hand, the system emphasized their separation from God because of their moral guilt. What do I mean by that? Those guys under the Old Testament system could not approach God directly without all these things. They had to take an animal, they needed a priest, they had to go to a building. So all of those things were part of God's mean to separate himself from them, to show them the seriousness of their sinfulness and their guilt. So on the one hand, it was a separation. But on the other hand, even back then, it was beginning to show them and pave the way for how God will one day bring them back unto himself. How? Because they were already familiar with the priesthood who offered the sacrifices, who was a mediator between them and God. And so Jesus now, when he came, he came as our great high priest and now fulfilled and did for us what those priests did for Israel under those systems. Are you following me? So Paul is saying as long as a child remains under that tutorship, the tutorship of what? The elemental things of this world, referring to the law itself. 
as long as you remain under that system, you will never fully have access to God and you will not be able to grow and mature. Amen? Now, the date set by the father, when the child became an adult, is like the coming of Jesus. So he came to live a sinless life under God's law so that we could uh, fulfill this, uh, so that he could fulfill this realistic, um, ritualistic foreshadows by dying for our sins. Now this is the point. This is the point Paul is making. So in Galatians 3, 27, 28, 29, he showed us three benefits of adoption. Right standing with God, unity in the body, and a new purpose for life. So now he's trying to show them that there's yet one more benefit of your adoption as sons. And this benefit is the removal of rituals that normally will become a hindrance to being able to press into God and have full access to God and be able to grow and develop normally. So he said to them, don't pass up this opportunity. Don't miss this great benefit that you have now because Jesus has now come when the fullness of the time came. We, are, we just read in Galatians 4.4 4, that God sent for the son, born of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that honor the law so that we can what? Become sons. You are no longer just a child now. God, through Jesus, is giving you full sonship just like that. So he does not want them to trivialize that. He wants them to understand that this is a new economy, a new dispensation, a new time, and therefore seize the moment. Amen? Amen. Now, because of what Jesus has done, we receive adoptions as sons. God sends his spirit into our hearts to help us to nurture our new relationship. Amen? Now, returning to ritualism is regression to spiritual slavery rather than progress towards spiritual maturity. Let me, let me explain that. It's warning here. The reason he's saying this to them is, listen, I came here, I preached, you guys received Jesus, faith, Jesus plus nothing, established. I lived for a moment, I came back, the Judaizers have come, They've poisoned you, and now you guys are, uh, you, you are going back and forth and back and forth, being thrown about by every wind of doctrine. So now I'm coming again now to establish you again, and I'm saying to you, don't go back to those things. Those things will never help you grow. As long as you remain not under the law, you will not grow. Don't miss up that chance. Let me give you an illustration. So, you have a four-year-old who's learning to read ABC. So you go to the store, you buy them books, A, B, C, they learn A, B, C. That's a good thing. A four-year-old, yeah, that's good. Now, if you went away and came back 20 years later, and the guy is still reading A, B, C at the age of 24, now we have a serious problem. Because at 24, your vocabulary should have exceeded and grown beyond just ABC. So that a 24-year-old is just doing ABC is an indication that the growth has stunted. You are not growing, you are stuck in rituals. And that's the point Paul is making. There are many churches around us. I remember years ago, I was in Nigeria, and my father, you know, we, we, we visited, and a few days later, he came to me and said, son, uh, uh, our church has a bazaar. Can you give to our bazaar? I said, what is that? 
There another time, they always come up with all these things. Another time I, I, I was there, he said, uh, son, oh, you came at a good time. Uh, I'll try to have a, uh, all up next one is a harvest. I said, harvest. I said, I said, I said, I said, I said, Daddy, can you show me that in the Bible? You want me to give to your bazaar? You want me to give to your harvest? Where we just get? So, so all, this is what I'm saying. All of those rituals. Now, those ones are extreme, and we all laugh. But many of our congregations have their own stuff that is not as extreme, and it's just as bad, and it does not promote any growth spiritually. Things like, okay, the women must all wear long dresses. No earrings. You have to wear a beret. You have, I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff that you never find it. And we put people on these boxes and they are never able to get out. Okay, I had a friend, a pastor friend of mine. I'm so sorry, all these examples are out of Nigeria. I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> he came here. In fact, the guy, the guy was very instrumental in my development, truly. He's, the guy's Kunle's friend. I won't go any further than that. The guy came and said, a woman should not preach in the pulpit. And I'm for sure that they should not wear any jewelry and they must always have their hair covered. So, you know, he's, living with, he's staying with us and he's sharing all these things to me, with me. I said, wow, that's interesting. So we went to a church service. And then, interestingly, on that, in that day, a woman was preaching. <laughs> we got home and said, bang, man, that woman was powerful. I said, well. <laughs> <laughs> and then he saw them wearing earrings. Ah. So I now went to his church, maybe a year later. The guy said to me, he said, please. If you can help me tear this doctrine down, I'm begging you. Tell my people this. <laughs> he, said, he said, I can't do it because I told them they need to be like that. So now you, as an outsider, come and help me destroy it. Please. <laughs> True story. True story. He said, because he realized that the earrings does not stop the anointing. The trouser does not stop the anointing. I said, oh, really? You just realized that? <laughs> But you see, and there are a lot of great congregations that still do that now. So people are not able to enjoy the liberty and the freedom that we have in the Holy Spirit. Not liberty to sin, but liberty from sin. And Paul took all of this time to try to help this church know, listen, you, you cannot put yourself under these bondages. If God has set you free from this, don't go back to it. What you need to do is pursue a relationship with God himself. Amen. Now, let, let's, let's, let's just move on. So, so, his admonition to them was to cultivate relational closeness to God, which they did not have under the law. Under the law, they were, they, they were content to just let Aaron talk to God, let Moses talk to God, let Eleazar talk to God. They did not need to talk to God because they had a representative. But now, since they have been set free, he said to them, you need to press in and develop your own relational closeness to God. And that's not just for them, it's also for us right now. So the first step is to receive Christ. And when I say receive Christ, I'm not talking about just being born again. Revelation 3.20 says, 
Jesus stands at the door and knocks. As the Holy Spirit is, is nudging you, are you open? Are you open? Listen, we talk about the law and routines and rituals. In Galatians, it talks about days and years and Sabbath. We set days aside, we set Sabbaths aside, we set years aside for various things. But beyond and above that, we set times aside to, to seek God. But is it possible that beyond the time I set, if it's 6 o'clock in the morning, 5 a.m., 4 p.m., whatever the time is, is it possible that God may say, you know what, I want to talk to you before 4 o'clock in the morning? Is it possible that God will say, you know what, at 2 p.m., while you're there, there at work, I, I want to whisper in your ears. Are we going to allow our, our, our regimentation and all of those things to say, God, I oh, know our time is 4 a.m. Come back at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, routine is good as a baseline. As a baseline. But you must also be open that God is way beyond that. I cannot tell you how many messages I've missed. I can't tell you how many. I'm laying there, I'm tired. It's 5.15 in the morning and I'm getting a nudging of the spirit and I'm saying, spirit, don't you understand this man is tired? <laughs> oh, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Come back in two hours. And when you do that, because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, it's gone. It's gone. We've got to be very careful about that. Routine is a baseline, but you never completely just shut down to say it has to be the time I set. Even if he told you the time, you must also be open that he can change it. That's the story in Israel at the campground of the tabernacle where they watched the glory lift and whenever it lifted, they knew that was the time to move. Amen. And the Bible says sometimes it was for two days, a week, a month, a year. God does not give them notice. They just had to be in a state of preparedness, recognizing it can move today, it can move in a week's time, in a month's time. We have to have the same state. Amen. Understanding that God cannot be Limited to our limitations. So we receive Christ. Two, number two, in, in cultivating your relational closeness to God. We need to listen regularly to God's self-revealing word. Psalm 62, verse 1, verse 5, verse 11. In other words, we need to spend time regularly reading his word through which he speaks to us. Regularly. Number three, we need to make use of our free access to God through Christ Jesus. You know, and this, the reason I'm saying this, making use of our free access to God through Christ Jesus. The Bible talks in Hebrews 4.16 that we have a high priest, this Jesus, referring to Jesus Christ, who cannot be, uh, who was, who cannot be touched by the feelings of, of our infirmities. And I was, no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, I can't be touched. No, actually what it says is that we should come boldly to the throne of grace. Boldly. Now, this is what happens. So, I do something wrong. I mess up. I sin. I do something big time wrong. If I'm not careful, if I don't understand this message, understanding my sonship, my right standing with God, what the enemy does, it shuts you down and says you can't go back to God. 
until you are done. God is angry with you. But what we are saying is, you have access to God through Jesus Christ. Don't allow the enemy to shut you down on the basis of what you did. That's one of the things for which God loved David dearly. Before that, David had a, an incredible, healthy sense of confidence in God's love towards him. We have access through Jesus Christ. And so rather than back away, you should pursue God. Let Jesus be your refuge. Amen. Number four, depend on the Holy Spirit's help in relating to God. Scripture there is Romans 8, 15 and Romans 8, 26 and 27. I'm not reading the scriptures because I need to move on to some other material. But I'm giving the references. And number five, speak to God in a variety of ways. Supplication, thanksgiving, petition. Spontaneously or planned. Briefly or prolonged. In private or with others. Again, enjoy the liberty that you have in him. Spontaneous prayers. The Holy Spirit moves upon you to pray for someone or to pray about something or, or to give thanks. Do it. Then it can be planned times when you say, you know what, at 8 o'clock or whatever, I'm going to enter into my closet and pray. It's fine. It can be brief. It can be prolonged. It can be in private and it can be with others. And lastly, on this one, on this point here, and this is important, anticipate dry times. And respond properly during them. Anticipate dry times. They will happen. These are times when it feels as if God is gone on a vacation to Alaska. And if you understand how God put the scriptures together, he's already telling us it will happen. Israel had seven feasts, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, uh, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacle. The first four feasts, those feasts were times when they met with God. Let me break that down. Was, those are times of the year that God gave them to meet with him. The first four happened in the spring. We just, we just did it, Easter, what, what they call Easter. And then 50 days after Easter, you have Pentecost. Don't you know that from Pentecost to Tabernacles, there was a period, a long period of four months? Four months. Dry, dry season. So that's an indication for us. He already planned it in Israel's curriculum. I'm going to be with you early in the spring. You're going to enjoy me. Four feasts, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> but after Pentecost, it's going to be a long day before you see me again on the last month. In other words, anticipate that in those moments you don't hear from me, you don't see me, you don't get a vision, you don't get anything. That's the time to dip down and just double down. You don't stop talking to God. You know he's hearing you. He's just playing games with you. You, you guys have done it when you play with your kids. You want to develop in them 
perseverance, resiliency. You want to develop in them something that makes them know that they know that they know that they know that even if they've not heard anything, is they there? So you must anticipate those dry times. That is the time when the greatest growth comes. Yeah. Because in spite of what you see or don't see, you're on the straight and narrow, consistent. Amen? Amen. So as you are growing in your work with God, understand that there will be dry times. He has not abandoned you, and they don't last forever. So keep on talking to God and waiting for the dry times to pass. Even those dry times will pass. Amen? All right. Now, very quickly, Galatians chapter 4. Let me pick it up in verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. And so now we are going to start moving into the realm of the flesh versus the spirit. It's addressed adequately the issue of the law versus grace. Now we're going to start addressing now the flesh versus the spirit. And he's introducing that now. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And he of the free woman through the promise. Which things are symbolic is telling us that this story is telling us is actually symbolic. For these are two covenants. It's breaking it down. These two child, two, two children, two wives are actually symbolic of two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage. Now, it, it, it does not get any clearer than this. What happened at Mount Sinai? The law was given. So it's telling you that the law does what? It leads to bondage. Just think about the theme. Law versus grace. Flesh versus spirit. Bondage versus freedom. I wish I had it on the, on the chalkboard to show you. The law leads to the flesh. And the flesh leads to bondage. Do you see it? Because he just told you, Mount Sinai leads to bondage. How does it happen? Because the law leads, the law connects to the flesh. And the flesh leads to bondage. And on the other side, you have the grace, which is powered by the Spirit of God, which leads to freedom. No, don't go to, don't go to the table. Thank you. <laughs> now, verse 25. Verse 25. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. I don't care how you want to dress up the law. It's still bondage. You can dress it up, pack it up, and tuck it up. At the end of the day, it's still what? Bondage. But Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all, assuming you are born again. If you are not born again, your mother is still Hagar. <laughs> For it is written, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children 
than she who has a husband. Now, we brethren, as Isaac, he's breaking it down now, we are as Isaac, the children of promise. But, as he who was born according to what? The flesh. Then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So you begin to see the flesh and the spirit now come into play. Even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bond woman and her son. For the son of the bond woman shall not be here with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bond woman, but of the free. Go to Genesis chapter 13, I think. Genesis chapter 13. No, no, chapter 21. While we're going there, we're going to come to Genesis 13, uh, 21. Uh, what verse? Verses 9 and 12. But what, before we get there, let me just define the flesh for us. Dr. Norfolk has been talking about this on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock for, forever. It means the natural, physically driven, materialistic, which when used in this way, the flesh becomes identical with using our own material resources as a means to meet our needs apart from, it, apart from God. Okay, so other terms for the flesh are coping mechanisms or simply making life work. In other words, the flesh the simplest definition I can, I can really just use, the flesh is anything driving you other than God. It can't, it can't get any simpler than that. Anytime I'm making choices, decisions, doing things that God did not ask me to do or God is not directing me to do, that God is not motivating me to do, that God is not behind, that I'm just thinking in my head and just doing it, no matter how good it is, is the flesh. Very broad. We are all of the flesh, but we are all not in the flesh. Of the flesh because we are still in natural bodies. But I don't have to be in the flesh if I'm in the spirit. This is huge. This is huge. As far as I'm concerned, this is where, see, I get born again once. But I'm Trusting God to stay in the spirit and not be in the flesh every moment. Yeah. I don't know if you guys understand the distinction. I'm born again. That's not, God, Jesus is taking care of that. But I, Bank Akimola, have to make the choice every day. No, that's too long. Every moment. <laughs> the choices are right there. Flesh or the spirit. Every single moment. God is not going to make that choice for you. He's giving you tools and resources to make the right choice. But you have to choose to make the right choice. And that's where the difference is. It's clear. That's the reason he introduced this story. Case in point. First Samuel chapter 13. Don't go there. I'm going to tell you the story because we need to move on. The prophet told King Saul, wait for me in Gilgal. In three days, we're going to offer a sacrifice. You guys read that story before? Yes. 
the army of Saul, they were rumbling. Ah, very fidgety. We've been sitting down here all day. This prophet is late. On and on and on and on. And Saul is scared. Hey, these guys. <laughs> Can I keep their rebellion down? Can I keep them down? These guys are all anxious. If I don't do something, they're going to kill me. What does he do? Did he wait for the prophet? No. He stepped out of God-ordained office into the office of a, pro of a priest that he was not of ordaining and offered the sacrifice. Now, what, what, is, what is so big about that? He offered a sacrifice. The priest was going to come and do it. So what did he do that was so wrong? And immediately he did it, the priest showed up somewhere. Ah, Saul, what did you just do? Uh, wait a minute, did, did I say, did you just, you killed, you did this? Ah, Saul said, look at all these people. They're anxious. If I didn't do it, who knows what will happen to me? Because of the people, I did it. The prophet only had one pronouncement. This day, your kingdom is taken away from you. Just like that. Now, someone was going to use the same knife to kill the same animal. The animal was going to die anyway. What's the problem? One of them ordained by God, the other one ordained by man. And these are the choices you and I, listen, especially in this United States. Ah, oh, it's difficult not to, not to be in the flesh. Every day, 24-7, the commercials are going on. Dealers has a sale, 50% off. <laughs> You're not thinking of dealers? You're not thinking of a new suit, but it's on for 50% off? You're going to sit there and justify and tell yourself you have to be a good steward. So let me go and buy it and save money. <laughs> yeah. Because the cats in your pocket are crying, spend me. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm saying is, I don't want us to just look at Galatia and say, these guys are in the front. No. I don't want us to look at Abraham and say, Abraham, no. It applies to us now. Now, where do I go to college? Who do I marry? What job do I take? Hello? The jobs we take should not just be how much it pays. The pay is good, yeah. But that should not be the determining factor. You better put that in before God and say, God, what is your choice for me? Why? Because I recognize you chose me before time began. This job just started in 2019, but you chose me as the ancient of days before the job ever began. You better ask God. Because the job that looks shiny and nice with nice desk and all these perks today, in two weeks may be over. And you don't know that. The perimeters for making this judgment should not just be what these guys are telling you. No, absolutely not. If you are driven by the spirit, you will know that no, this is not mine. The flesh Versus the spirit. Let's, go, let's just go through the chase. Genesis 21. Oh, man, there are too many examples. Look, look, look at Paul. He listed his credentials. Pharisee of Pharisees. 
of Israel, the, of the tribe of Israel, on and on. In Philippians chapter 3, it named all the great accolades. And then they said, I count it all as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. In other words, I'm not going to live on the basis of my credentials. I'm going to live on the basis of my position in Christ. So Genesis 21 verse 9, is it, is it verse 9? What verse? Yeah, you're right. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be here with my son, namely with Isaac. Hold up. Let, let, let me even back off. Let me back off. We're talking about flesh versus spirit. How did this even happen? How did it happen? How in the world did Ishmael get here? God made a promise to Abraham. He took him out and said, Count the stars. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. I'm talking about the one that will come out of your body, Abraham. Okay, God, yes, I hear you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Yeah. You go home, Sarah said. You are still waiting? Look at Hagar. God, take care of her. Let's help God. Let's bring this in on. Ah, are you sure, Sarah? Ah, yeah, look at her. Even though God said, the child will come out of your body and Sarah. It didn't happen soon enough. And you, he used his low-hanging fruit, the most available resource he had, Hagar, and just went in on her. And Ishmael was born. And God said, mm, that's your child, not mine. That is the flesh proper, not mine. Oh, yeah. That's your child. The promise I made to you is from you and Sarah, not you and Hagar. I mean, in that day and time, Sarah didn't do anything ridiculously wrong because those guys did things like that. So it was not so strange when she suggested that to her husband to go to her maid and have a child. But that's not God's choice. And the point I'm making tonight is there are consequences for walking in the flesh. We are still suffering that consequence of that choice of Abraham till today. Can you imagine that? 4,000 years later, we are still in it. Now, let me read on. Thanks. Therefore, okay, are we therefore or are we here? <laughs> therefore, she said to Abraham, Okay, no, you're right. Verse 11, verse 11, very quickly. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. Listen, you must understand the flesh, the things we do in the flesh, they are not things that most of them we enjoy, actually. Abraham enjoyed it. He said to Sarah, are you kidding me? This is my son. But God said to Abraham, 
Do not let it be displacing yourself because of the lad or because of your bond woman. In other words, get over it, Abraham. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. As a concession, God said, okay, I still bless Ishmael. I still bless him. But you understand, that's not what my promise is. This is the point. This is the point. I may not go further than here tonight. I can understand Abraham's problem. 90 years old. His wife, 75 years. In order for him to bring forth that promise of God that God promised, Abraham ought to change the way he was thinking. Why do you think he did not wait for Sarah to bring the child? What do you think was going on in his mind? He's thinking, I don't know too many 90-year-old women that can still have children. I know in Africa, some of the, we hear some of these miracle of births at 60, 65, <laughs> but, but I've not seen it. 90, have you guys seen a 91-year-old yet? No. That's one challenge. He's thinking her body's already gone. He may further be thinking, wow, she's no longer as attractive as she used to be. I don't know. In order for him to be in the spirit and bring to pass what God was saying to him, you know what he had to do? He had to stop seeing Sarah as a barrier. He had to stop seeing her as over the hill, incapable of bringing forth. Even though in the natural, that's what the doctors would say, that's what physiology or anatomy would say, all of those things. But he had to see beyond that. And the lesson for you and I is, we cannot look at our spouses as a barrier for us. I cannot tell you how many pastors I know that have gotten a divorce because they say their wives are obstacles in their ministry. You guys are hearing that for the first time? No. I can take you to Accra, Ghana, and, and a street of churches. We have church after church after church after church. Pastors have told their wife to go away because they felt the woman is the obstacle in the growth of the ministry. In fact, a popular pastor was preaching that a big time a few years back. If I mention his name, you guys will know him. But I won't go there. Instead of seeing your spouse as an obstacle or a barrier, see them as an opportunity for growth. Which key relationships are in your life? What defining relationships do you have where you've said this man or this woman, this person, they are an agent of Satan? You've labeled them as an agent of Satan that nothing good can ever come out of them. Because of that, you've put plans and steps in place that, didn't, that was not born in God, was born in the flesh to try to circumvent that situation. You need to be careful. You need to be careful. The point here is, 
God encouraged Abraham. Listen to your wife. Watch this. God did not try for Isaac and Ishmael to coexist in the household. Is it that they will not have enough food in Abraham's house to eat? This man was rich in silver and cattle and gold and all of that. So money was not the problem. A place to sleep was not the problem. No. But God said, let him go. Both Isaac and Ishmael cannot coexist here. It's not going to happen. What's the message? The flesh and the spirit cannot coexist in trying to please God. There's no mixture. <laughs> it's no mixture. There is no way I'm going to, in the flesh, in the spirit, in the spirit, and say, God, man, just take my flesh and just bless it anyway. The Bible is very clear. Can we go to the scripture? Romans chapter 8. So really tonight, what Paul is saying to us is there are two ways of living. Two ways. We can live in the flesh or we can live in the spirit. The choice is ours. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. For to be carnally minded is what? Death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's what he's telling us. Choose life, choose peace. Verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, so he broke down carnality for you now in verse 8. It translated it for you. If you're wondering, oh, what is it, what is it carnal? What? It's just, it's telling you now. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh Cannot please God. Nothing Ishmael will do. He can kill. I don't care. I don't know how many animals he will kill and bring to God. It's not going to work. It's flesh. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, it's not his. Choice is very simple. Uh, tomorrow we're going to get into how do you walk in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. But tonight, suffice it to say, you know, you hear that the life of living in the flesh does not please God. And you know what the flesh is. Flesh is making decisions, doing things, making choices that is not born from the spirit of God. Just that simple. I hear a holy hush. Is, it, is that difficult? Praise God, it's 8.30. Amen. There's a lot more in these notes. Again, they're on the website. Get them. Uh, we just have to go with the flow. Amen. But we're going to get to the nuts and bolts on how to walk in the spirit. Because that's where life is. That's where peace is. And that's where God is taking us. But suffice it to say, you and I don't want to be men and women living in the flesh. Dr. Nofio, can you pray for us tonight, please? Give me a mic.